This afternoon, we'll be examining Lord's Day 34, which teaches on the first commandment. Let's read that together now. In question and answer 92, the question asks, What is the law of the Lord? And there follows the Ten Commandments, which we heard once again this morning, as as we do each Sunday. So I will not repeat them again. We'll pick up with question 93. How are these commandments divided? Into two parts. The first teaches us how to live in relation to God. The second, what duties we owe our neighbor. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God, trust in Him alone, submit to Him with all humility and patience, expect all good from Him only, and love, fear, and honor Him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing against his will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this may seem like a strange question, but are you addicted to coffee? That's a phrase we hear quite a bit, don't we? I'm addicted to coffee. We probably mean that we enjoy a good cup of coffee in the morning, in the afternoon, and and maybe even at night. It's an enjoyable part of our routine. Well, are you addicted to the latest Netflix series? That's also something we might say. We mean there's a show that we really enjoy that makes us want to watch the next episode as soon as we're finished the last one. Sometimes we might daydream about the events of the show, looking forward to to watching the next one after school, after work. Are you addicted to social media? Do you spend an hour or so a day scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok? Do you count the followers you have, the likes you get? This question might cut a little bit deeper, I think. This topic asks deeper questions of our heart. Brothers and sisters, this afternoon, we'll examine the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. This commandment brings us to ask important questions about our hearts. What are we addicted to? What dominates our thoughts, our energy, our desires, our time? In the first commandment, our Lord 
commands us to worship him alone. He lays claim to our entire heart. By nature, we place ourselves on the throne and we create idols for ourselves. But we'll see this afternoon that our gracious God has provided the perfect solution to our problem in the Lord Jesus Christ who has fulfilled the law for us. And we'll consider how we can respond to our God's solution with heartfelt joy and with thankful worship. And that brings us to our theme this afternoon. The only true God commands his people to worship him alone. First, we'll see the problem of our fallen worship. Second, the solution of Jesus' perfect worship. And third, the response of our faithful, our thankful worship. First, the problem of our fallen worship. In the first commandment, the Lord says, you shall have no other gods before me. We've heard this so many times, but if we stop to think more carefully, this commandment might raise, us, raise a few questions in our minds. First, why does, this, why does our Lord give this commandment in the negative? No other gods. And second, are there other gods? Is the Lord one among many gods who compete for our worship? In response, it's important to consider how the Lord introduces the Ten Commandments. He says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says, I am the Lord your God. Then he reminds Israel of what he has done for them. They're no longer slave to the Egyptians, but they're free. But not free to do whatever they want. They don't belong to Egypt, but they belong to the Lord, their God. They shall have no other gods before him. But we may still ask, are there other gods beside the Lord? In Deuteronomy 4, verse 35, Moses says, The Lord is God. There is no other besides him. The so-called gods of the nations have no power, no right to being worshipped because they're mere idols of wood and stone. And in Deuteronomy 5, the chapter right before our reading this afternoon, we find the Ten Commandments in Scripture for the second time. The Lord had first given them to his people when they camped before Mount Sinai, after he brought them out of Egypt. And now in this second time, the people are camped on the plains of Moab, just before they cross the Jordan to take possession of the promised land. At this important time of transition, Moses instructs the people about God's law. But why is this moment so important? Well, in the wilderness, away from the culture of the Egyptians, the Israelites were entirely cut off from pagan influences. And in a wilderness, it's, it's hard to pretend that you depend on anyone other than the Lord. But now, with the people of Canaan only a stone's throw away, Israel was about to enter a land with many other so-called gods. We read about the riches of this land in Deuteronomy 6, verses 10 and 11. There will be great and good cities that you did not build, and 
houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. What a transformation. The Israelites go from working as slaves in the fields of Egypt to reaping the rich harvest of planted fields in Canaan. In comparison, we might think of refugees fleeing from war-torn Ukraine and being brought to live on Wellington Crescent, free of charge. But there would also be a new spiritual danger in this promised land. The Israelites would step into cities full of Canaanite culture, full of idols. In their prosperity, they might be prone to forget the Lord and to worship these idols instead. So Moses warns the people, Take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve. You shall not go after other gods, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Since we know the history of Israel, we know what has come before this moment. And what will come after? The Israelites had built the golden calf shortly after receiving the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And they would go on to to worship the idols of the Canaanites not long after entering the Promised Land. Why does this pattern of idolatry, of turning from true worship of the Lord, happen so many times in Israel's history? To answer this question we have to go back even further. We have to go back to the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve. In the beginning, God had created humans to worship Him alone and to obey His commands. And He created them so that they could do this. We might think of Eden as a land flowing with milk and honey where Adam and Eve could serve God in perfect worship. In this perfect garden, God gave Adam this command. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 2. But then came the serpent, who twisted God's words. To paraphrase, the serpent said, Go ahead, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good of the knowledge of good and evil. You won't die. In fact, you'll even become like God. And with this temptation, Adam and Eve were faced with an important question. Would they worship the Lord alone? Or would they choose their own desires, the words of the serpent, over the Lord? Eve saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took her eyes off of God. She allowed her own desire to become wise like God, take the place of God in her heart. And so she turned to the forbidden fruit, which seemed like it would satisfy her desire. You shall have no other gods before me. The serpent tempted Eve to be like God, and Adam and Eve treated themselves like gods. 
They gave worship to themselves, to their own desires, rather than to God. And when Adam and Eve turned away from whole worship of the Lord alone, they brought upon themselves and their descendants, us, God's punishment in a, a broken human nature, the old nature that we learned a little bit about last week. When God delivered his people from Egypt, he gave them the first commandment to once again direct their entire worship to him alone. And today, God still gives this command to his children. Do you have any other gods before the Lord? As children of Adam and Eve, we have inherited the old nature, so we easily relate to their misplaced worship. If we had faced the serpent, their response would have been ours. Our eyes see that the tree is delightful, is to be desired to make one wise. And our minds think, wouldn't it be great if we gained the wisdom that this tree offers? What we're basically saying is, does all our worship, every moment of our life, belong to God alone? Or can we also worship ourselves? The misplaced desires of our own hearts. If you desire this, surely you can have it. Surely it must be good. You deserve it. Congregation, this is the fallen state of human nature. This is the fallen worship that our hearts know apart from God's transforming grace. Do you make an idol out of yourself, your desires, or whatever seems to satisfy them? Do you have one particular desire that you build your life around? Maybe it's being accepted by others or having power over others or having things others don't have, scoring grades higher than others? What do these re desires reveal about the state of your heart? God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Brothers and sisters, these are difficult things to think about, and we must be reminded of them. But let's not linger any longer, for in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are putting our old nature to death. Let's lift our eyes now to a new and better Adam, a true Israel, one who obeyed the first commandment perfectly on our behalf, and to whom we owe complete worship. That brings us to our second point, the solution of Jesus' perfect worship. In the very first words of Matthew 4, we pick up on some familiar themes. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's verse 1. Jesus was led into the wilderness where he spent 40 days and 40 nights. Israel had been led into the wilderness where they had spent 40 years. In some ways, Jesus walks the same wilderness journey as his Israelite forefathers. And Jesus is hungry. You may have fasted one day at a time. Even when we go without food for several hours, we sometimes describe ourselves as hangry. Hunger brings out some of the worst in us. 
And here, after 40 days and 40 nights without food, Jesus may be at the very limits of human weakness. And after reflecting on the Israelites in the wilderness, we may wonder in the words of Lord's Day 34, will the Lord Jesus trust in God alone and submit to him with all humility and patience? And now the tempter, that is the devil, comes to Jesus and speaks to him. Like Adam and Eve, Jesus also faces direct temptation from the devil. And after seeing how our first parents responded to the devil's temptation, we may wonder, will the Lord Jesus maintain perfect worship of God alone, forsaking all creatures rather than doing the least thing against God's will? In the first temptation, the devil says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And this might at first seem innocent. Jesus was the Son of God, and he did have power to turn the stones to bread. Only a little later, he would turn water into wine. But Jesus' response shows the subtle danger of the devil's words. He says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There are a few things that we should notice here. In the first place, our Lord responds to temptation by turning to the word of God. Our first reaction to temptation might be, I sure am hungry, and if it's possible to turn these stones into bread, why not? But the heart of Jesus is, entirely devoted to his Father. He does not look first to his own physical desires, but to his Father. What he truly needs and what he lives by is not bread, but the Word of God. And we should also notice the specific verse that Jesus quotes, which comes from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy 8 speaks of the Israelites' time in the wilderness as, and I quote, As a test, and now I quote, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. As part of this test, God let his people hunger and provided them with manna, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So Jesus walks the same steps as the Israelites in the wilderness. When Jesus entered his period of testing, he showed what was in his heart, the commandments of God. In his time of trial, this particular chapter of Deuteronomy was on Jesus' heart and mind. Unlike the Israelites, the Lord Jesus perfectly trusted in the Lord alone. Let's also briefly consider the third temptation where the devil brings up the subject of worship. He took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. If Jesus had already shown that he trusted in God alone, why would this particular temptation be a problem? The devil isn't being subtle. What he suggests is clearly against the first commandment. 
But take note of what the devil offers to Jesus here. All the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Much later, at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But between the devil's temptation and Jesus' words lies a long road of suffering. Jesus would be abandoned by his disciples, betrayed, wrongly charged, and crucified, bearing the burden of God's wrath against sin. The devil offers another way, a much easier way. All these things, the kingdoms of the world and their glory, I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. What if Jesus could skip the road of suffering? What if he could still receive authority over all things without the cross? Our Lord doesn't entertain this thought even for a moment. He says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Once again, the Lord sees beyond the devil's deceit. If he was to fall down and worship Satan, he would have directly broken the first commandment. If he was to take Satan's word as truth and take the easy way to his goal, he would have placed his trust in something other than the Lord alone. He would have placed his own human preference to avoid suffering ahead of God's will. It was God's will for our Lord to, to walk the road of the cross for his glory and for our salvation. Our Lord Jesus chose to obey God's will, trusting in God's goodness and wisdom. And there's one more beautiful detail here. Did you notice which verse the Lord Jesus refers to in his response? Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. And in the second temptation, our Lord again quotes another verse from Deuteronomy 6. So in a time of deep suffering, our Lord Jesus had the words of this chapter on his heart. A chapter which explains to God's people how to obey the first commandment, how to make sure that they worship the Lord alone. At this point, let's, let's take a step back and let's look at the big picture. We've seen that our Lord Jesus stood in the place of Adam and despite the extent of the devil's temptations, our Lord served his Father alone. In the words of Lord's Day 34, he rightly knew God and loved, feared, and honored him with all his heart. We've seen that our Lord Jesus stood in the place of Israel, and despite the weakness of hunger, he trusted in his Father alone. He submitted to him with all humility and patience, he expected all good from him only. Our Lord Jesus did not place his own human hunger or suffering above the will of his Father. For the sake of our very salvation, he avoided and fled all idolatry and worship of other creatures. He did these things not only when tempted by the devil, but during his entire life. If we look ahead to the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
In Romans 5, the Apostle Paul speaks of Adam as a type of Christ. He writes, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. As we saw in the first point, that's where we would be apart from Christ. But Paul goes on. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And herein lies the gospel. By the rich grace of God, although his people do not perfectly worship him alone, he counts the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ as ours. We all fail to worship God alone and deserve to bear the anger of the Lord. But the Lord Jesus has borne that anger upon himself. The one man who perfectly worshiped God alone has borne the anger of God against those who do not. And we, who by nature place ourselves rather than God on the throne of our hearts, we now cherish the grace of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what is left for us to do? In terms of our salvation, there is nothing we can do, for our God has done all for us. But in terms of our lives here on earth, there's much work to be done. And that brings us to our, our third point, the response of our thankful worship. For those in Christ, all we can do is worship God alone. Last week we saw that we are no longer under the law, but under grace. We have been set free from the dominion of the power of sin. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, the new nature comes to life more and more. The Lord said to his people at Mount Sinai, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This same God now speaks to us of deliverance from our sin. It's in this context that we now come to the first commandment with fresh eyes, with hearts that no longer condemn us, with the power of the Holy Spirit that equips us to obey it out of thankfulness. And in order for us to learn how to properly worship God alone, we can look back to the example of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 4. We can also look back to Deuteronomy 6, the words that were on the heart of our Savior during his temptations. Our Lord Jesus, he trusted that he would be sustained by the word of God. He placed aside his hunger and any thoughts of his own suffering in order to properly submit to his Father. True worship of God comes from the heart, and the heart of our Lord Jesus was set on his Father's will. Brothers and sisters, can we say the same about our own hearts? Who or, or what holds first place in your heart? If your thoughts are at rest, what are you thinking about? If your thoughts are racing, what are you thinking about? Sometimes the focus of our thoughts speaks about the state of our worship. There are no other gods than the Lord, but the human heart 
builds idols for itself. Once you commit to serving your own desires, you'll turn to anything that enables you to satisfy them. And in that case, we put our trust in things that are not designed to carry trust. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses provides an explanation of how the Israelites are to obey the first commandment. What proper worship of the Lord looks like. He does this as God's people are about to step into the promised land where they'll face pagan culture and influence. There are similarities between the Israelites and us, aren't there? We've been brought out of the house of slavery to sin and while we have not yet reached the promised land, we've, we're faced with a culture that grows more and more pagan. If we look around at this world, this culture, we, we see some common idols. Power, possessions, acceptance, pleasure, and more. Often these categories kind of blend into one another. We see struggles for power in our workplace, among our politicians. We'll flip on the TV and we're tempted to buy every new and shiny toy. We see a culture that seems to completely accept unbiblical sexual expression. We see the celebration of sexual pleasure even on the cover of magazines in the lineup to check out our groceries. But if we're being totally honest, we don't need to look at the world or the lineup in the grocery store to recognize these things, do we? The desires of our old nature tempt each of our hearts as well. Against this backdrop, we read some well-known words from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We often hear these words after the reading of the Ten Commandments because our Lord Jesus refers to this as the great and first commandment. And while it's a summary of the first four commandments, it deals especially with the first commandment. Because in order to worship the Lord alone, we must love him with our whole being. Brothers and sisters, whom do you love? What does your soul long for? Is it the satisfaction of your desires? Is it your desire to have more authority in this world? Your desire to be loved and accepted? Is it your desire to be someone? Sometimes these desires have good aspects to them. But are these desires signs that you worship the idol of yourself? Are you primarily looking to satisfy your own desires in your workplace, in a spouse, in education? In your home? Are you placing your trust in someone or something other than God alone? Are you moving him from the throne of your heart and replacing him with yourself? Brothers and sisters in Christ, whom do you love? Let it be the God of grace who loves you, who has broken the chains of your sin. The God who alone is God who alone is worthy of worship, who alone must rule your heart. If God is your deepest desire, he will satisfy you with his love. Congregation, let it be him that you love. He alone is worthy. 
Our hearts are prone to addictions. Our old nature tempts us with desires of power, possessions, security, and so on. And if we follow those desires, we find ways to satisfy them. We become dependent on those things. So addictions can be a sign of idolatry in our lives. Perhaps we should be more careful when we casually speak about addictions to to coffee, to Netflix, to social media, and so on. Or perhaps if we say these things, we should examine our hearts to see whether these addictions really point to an idol. This afternoon, we've seen the problem of our fallen worship. But we've also seen the perfect solution given by our God. The Lord Jesus Christ has perfectly obeyed the first commandment for us. This doesn't mean that we set it aside. It means that we have all the more reason to obey it out of thankfulness. Our God equips us to do this by the power of his Holy Spirit in our, in your hearts. So brothers and sisters, do not have any other gods before our God. Let our praise and our worship forever rise to our triune God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All the glory evermore be to God alone. Amen.